Okay, good morning. This uh, morning I want to thank the Scheinbeins who sponsored the Parsha class. Le'iloi Nishmas Aryeh Le'i Ben Shalom site is today. is Neshama Shadav and Aliyah through the Divrei Torah that we're going to share. If you have an interest in sponsoring the Parsha class, you can always get in touch with our shul office, with Matthew or with Linda. I want to remind you also, you have in front of you two flyers. One, we will have the privilege of welcoming... Hagon Rav Asher Weiss, Shlita, on Shabbos, January 30th, that Sunday evening. We have a very special dessert reception to inaugurate our base medrash in memory of Dr. Yitzhak Belazan, Zechron Levracha. You're invited to come. Everyone is invited to come. There is no fee. There is no cost. But we also invite you to participate in supporting the Torah learning and our community details are there. You also have the flyer for the program that we're now running for the second year, a four-part series called Aged to Perfection that goes through uh, some of the issues of the golden years, life and retirement, psychological aspects of aging, reinventing yourself as a parent of adult children, saying no to older adult bullying, caregiver strategies. Feel free to take the flyer, share it with others. Everyone is invited. And this too is, you see the theme here, free of charge. Okay, Parsha's bow. First we begin with our overview of the Parsha as we do every week. And then we will delve into our exciting psukim for today. So in our Parsha... We have the last three plagues. Why is it that the Parsha was divided to interrupt the story, to create such a uh, cliffhanger? The beginning of the Makos last week and the end this week, we don't know what happens, what's going to be, will they make it out? Will they be freed from their oppressors? Why that is, is a uh, topic into itself. But we begin, page 340 in the Earth Girl Stone Chumash, Hashem says to Moshe, Bo El Paro which the Mephoshim all explain, Bo, it should be Lech. Go to Paro. What do you mean, Bo El Paro? This is yet further evidence that God was not sending Moshe on a mission by himself, but God is putting his arm around Moshe and Aaron and saying, No, Bo El Paro, come. Let's go together. You are my mouthpiece. You are the conduit through which I will speak. But make no mistake, I will be there right next to you. I will be there together with you. This is the sense that we are to have in our mission on earth. Just like Moshe was tapped on the shoulder to be a leader, just as Moshe was appointed to be a shliach, to be an emissary of Hashem. This was not invented by Chabad, the idea of shlichus. But this is something that goes back to our first leader, to Moshe Rabbeinu, who was tapped to be a shliach, who was tapped to be an agent of the Almighty, to go to Paro and to deliver a message. And though Moshe hesitates and demurs, God says, have no fear. I'm not asking you to do anything alone. I will be there right next to you. I will be there and I will have your back. And similarly, when we are tapped to complete and fulfill our mission on this earth, Hashem is similarly together with us. And again, the Pasha begins with this theme. We've not yet gone into it and we're not going to today. But the notion of hardening Paro's heart, what happened to free will? What happened to free choice? Human initiative. If that's the cornerstone of life, that's what differentiates us and makes us human beings. Our self-awareness, our awareness of our surroundings, our confronting the alternatives and the choices that we have, and the way we express that free will shapes and molds and determines who we are. So of course the age-old question that all the Mepharshim and the Mikros, Kedolas and beyond talk about, how can Paro be held accountable for his nefarious and egregious deeds if he wasn't given a choice? If Hashem hardened his heart, if he removed free will, how can he be accountable? How can he be accountable? We're not going to get into that today. <laughs> Got to keep you coming back next year. Got to keep this uh, 
this pace going. Moshe and Aaron come to uh, Paro, and of course they challenge him, and as every child learns to sing and put on their pre-Pesach play, that Moshe and Aaron say, let my people go, and Paro says, absolutely, absolutely not. And we have the whole, it's more complicated than that, but I want to get into our Pesukim. The ninth plague is the one of Choshech, the Choshech al Eretz Mitzrayim, the Yamish Choshech, darkness fell on the earth. We studied this a couple of years ago, and we gave four or five or six different interpretations of this perhaps most difficult to understand plague. I understand that the entire water source, all water turning to blood, I understand why that's a plague. What does it mean Choshech is a plague? We've all lived through blackouts. We've all experienced a loss of electricity. We've all been camping and looked up in the middle of the night, pitch blackout. So what kind of plague is this? How is this so horrendous to live through a sense of Choshech? You can listen online. We suggested many, many answers to it. The Chidush Arim, I quoted this the other night at the Katz Hillel Day School dinner, but the Chidush Arim says, the answer is in the end of the Pasuk, Lo ro ish esachiv, lo kamo ish mi yamim. The darkness was not a physical darkness, it was a social or existential darkness. It was the darkness of being alone, of being self-centered. You know, you ask somebody who's struggling with depression, people who are withdrawn in their own world, they feel that they are living in a cloud of darkness. They're cloaked by darkness. And yet somebody who is gregarious, somebody who's outgoing, somebody who's socially integrated, somebody who's warm, such an individual is living in light living with clarity, living with the sunshine. And so says the Chidush Arim, the first Ger Rebbe, the Choshech that befell the Egyptians was they were withdrawn into their own world. They were absolutely negligent about caring about anyone around them. And that's what it means, Loro Isha Sachiv. You couldn't even see your brother's suffering. You didn't care about your brother's suffering. And therefore, Lo Kamu Ishmi Tachtav, you couldn't get up from out of that depression, that melancholy, that selfishness, not that they go together, not that everyone who's depressed is selfish, but there was a, a, they were swept, they were overwhelmed by that, by that sense, and so much so that Paro gives an uh, offer. And then of course he withdraws it. And then we have the warning of the first, the last plague, the strictest, strongest plague, the plague of the, of the firstborn, which in itself is also a complicated plague. The firstborn of Egypt dies simply. They did nothing wrong other than being the firstborn child. Is that fair? And what's with the obsession of the birth order? Why do we care so much about birth order? <coughs> On the one hand, God eliminates the firstborn of Egypt. On the other hand, our firstborn have a special status. They need to be redeemed. God calls the Jewish people, B'ni B'chori Yisrael, we are God's firstborn. Which is a contradiction, by the way. Elsewhere it says, Which sounds like we are the only ones who are God's children. And here it says, That we are God's oldest children. So which is it? Are we just God's firstborn, but He has other children? Or are we the only children? This too, we shall not discuss today. But I'm just pointing out, as we go through our overview of the Parsha, just bringing to your attention lots of things that you should think about over the remainder of this week and as you study the Parsha on your own. And so uh, Moshe says, God, Vayomer Moshe, Hashem, Moshe communicates in God's name, approximately midnight. Approximately midnight. God's going to kill every firstborn and He's going to take us out. And then our story is interrupted with the very first Jewish law. So much so that Rashi, in the beginning of all Chumash, famously asks, why didn't the Torah begin from Achodesh Hazelachem? The Torah should have begun from 
The first mitzvah, the mitzvah to sanctify the moon, the mitzvah to control time, the mitzvah to establish the calendar. Why didn't it? Why do we have all of Sefer Bereshis and Shmos Ve'ira Bo until now? And clearly, the Torah is not a law book, it's much more than that. And Rashi gives the famous answer, the opening Rashi, it is so that the nations of the world know that when we claim the land of Israel, it is not out of nowhere, it is not an empty claim, but that the creator of the entire universe who our ancestors chose and he chose them in return, promised them and through them us that land. How has that argument gone so far? Not too well. The United Nations has never accepted it and the Arab League has never um, conceded to it. That argument of Rashi has never gone too well. But some suggest that maybe the argument is not in fact for our enemies, maybe it's for ourselves. When we the Jewish people don't have the conviction that it's our land, how can we expect those around us to understand it? If we lack the conviction that in fact it is an ancestral homeland, that it is promised by the Almighty Himself that we have a divine right to the land, if we lack the resolve and conviction, we can't expect anybody else to, uh, to hand it to us. So anyway, we have here this first mitzvah. We'll, we'll continue from here in a moment. And then preceding the tenth and final plague is the instruction of the Korban Pesach. Before God strikes the firstborn, first He tells everybody that they need to bring their own sacrifice, they need to designate it for four days. It sits there tied to the doorpost, they sacrifice it, they put the blood on the, on the door. Hashem passes over those, uh, those homes. And then finally He's ready to execute the tenth plague, pun intended. And with it He brings Paro's surrender and the Jewish people head out and leave Egypt. We have a great instruction to always remember Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. To never ever forget it when God takes us out. And then the Parsha ends, again coming back to this theme of the firstborn. The idea of the Peter Rechem. And so on. This unique status, the special place of the firstborn. So the topic of the firstborn, whether it's the Egyptians who die because they're firstborn, I don't know how that can be just, or whether it's our firstborn that have to be redeemed, not only the humans, but the animals who have a special status, Bechor Behema whether it's the Jewish people who collectively have the status of B'ni B'chori Yisrael, but that clearly is a topic that has to be. And then the parsha concludes with Tefillin. So the men in the room will put Tefillin on this morning. Why do we put Tefillin on? Somehow Tefillin is an instruction. Tefillin is a sign. It reminds us of the experience of Yitzias Mitzrayim. Okay, so I want to get into our Pesukim. We last left off. I had a note. Last year, Perak Yud Beis, we got through the first two psukim last year. It's pretty impressive. Two whole psukim. Which brings us up to Perak Yud Beis, Pasuk Gimel. Just to give it context, we are before the 10th plague. The narrative, the story has been in- interrupted with the giving of the very first mitzvah of HaChodesh Hazeh Lachem. We elaborated on this at length last year. If you want to understand it better, you can listen online. But just to uh, remind you briefly, why, of all places and at all times, why now? A slave nation on the cusp of attaining their freedom after two centuries, and you interrupt to tell them, look up, check out the moon. You're a people of the moon, you're going to sanctify the moon, and you're going to control the calendar. Not God. When Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the entire year, when the 10th of Tishrei falls, is not determined by the Almighty. 
It is determined by us. God gave us that power. But why now? So the Svarno makes a comment here, Rabbi Soloveitchik elaborated on very beautifully, expanding really on the Svarno. You know why here? Because what differentiates a slave from a free person is their control of time. The slave does not own their own time. A slave is subservient. Whatever the master says, go here, do this, don't do this. Whatever the master says, the slave is bound by. But a free person, what defines very freedom is our ability to control our own time, to control through time our own destiny. And that's why exactly when they're on the cusp of attaining the freedom, when they're about to go out, that's exactly why they get this instruction. Last year we spoke about the idea of the symbolism or um, the, the parallelism between the Jewish people and the moon, unlike the sun, which is a constant a year is called a Shana because it's, it just repeats itself over and over and over again. The sun is an absolute constant in the sky. Whereas the moon waxes and wanes. It goes smaller and larger in the Jewish people in our history and for our destiny. We emulate, we are bound by, we are bound by the moon. The Svasemis here in our parsha says, HaChodesh HaZelachem, HaChidosh HaZelachem. The idea of renewal, the idea of a fresh opportunity, the idea of a fresh start. It's a gift that was given to us by God. We don't live by the sun. The sun is that exact same ball. Those who were at the Sunrise Minion this past Friday, which might have been our most magnificent sunrise we've had over all the years of our Sunrise Minion, it's an incredible thing. Every month when I go to that Minion, the Friday of Arab Shabbos Mavorchem, the gazebo at the end of Palmetto Park Road, you know, you look on your uh, app on your phone, the time it says sunrise is supposed to be, and you time it to get up to Shmona Esra, the Amida then, and lo and behold, the sun is exactly on time. Every month. There's no excuse. It doesn't come late. Didn't get caught in traffic. Didn't have to wake up the children, get them to school. Didn't have a late night the night before. The sun is on time, obedient. The exact same sun. That ball of the sun is exactly the same. The moon is exactly the same, but the way what we see of it, obviously, is, is different. So the sun is repetitive. The moon changes, and we, the Jewish people, just like there's renewal in the moon, we have the promise of renewal. Was there ever a greater promise of renewal than to take slaves who for 210 years have known nothing, the Holocaust lasting for 210 years? That's ingrained in a people who never believed. Now you understand the Kotzer Ruach, and therefore from the Abodah Kasha, the Kotzer Ruach, they didn't accept Moshe's message. 210 years you live with that oppression and persecution, with that torment, with that murder, with that backbreaking labor. You don't possibly believe that it could be different. And God says, look at the moon. You see how it's a tiny sliver and it's going to grow large? Don't give up hope. And don't give up faith. Because you can too. can always. And therefore, by the way, that's why the Ramban says, we're about to read, when, when we get the instruction of... of uh, Taking the Korban Pesach, how is it dated? Or here, Rishon, this is the first month. You know, the names that we use for the months, we just started the month of Shvat, the names that we use for the months are Babylonian names. They're not Jewish names. What are the Jewish names that we have for the months? Anyone know? What should you write on your grandchild's birthday card? What's the Jewish name for the month? It's not January. And nor is it really Shvat, it's a Babylonian name. What's the Jewish name? 
Chodesh HaRishon, Chodesh HaSheni, Chodesh HaShlishi. It's pretty, it lacks a lot of creativity. It's not exactly, you know, great for the uh, calendar sales, but that's the names of the months. The first month, the second month, the third month, the fourth month. And the Ramban says, you know why? Because we always count from Nisan. It always comes back to Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. That was the greatest renewal we ever had. When we had given up hope, when we had lost any sense of possibility of life being different, and the renewal, just like the moon, that was the first month. And therefore, everything revolves as the Ramban around that first month. We always continue to count from then. Not hachodesh hazelachem, says the Svasamas, hachidosh hazelachem. The capacity for renewal, the capacity for a fresh start, the capacity for a, a beginning. I don't have time to play golf anymore. When I used to play golf, one of the favorite thing I loved about this sport, about golf, different from other sports, is you could draw a line in the card. Golfers know what I'm talking about here. What does it mean to draw a line in the card? It means on the fourth hole you got a triple bogey. On the fifth hole you got a double bogey. And you're really miserable. You paid this money, you set aside this time, and your golf game is going down the tubes. So you know what you do? Take out a pencil, and you draw a line between the fifth and the sixth hole. And you know what the sixth hole is? It's the first hole. You get to start again. It's a fresh start, it's a new beginning. You draw a line in the card. And that's Rosh Chodesh. HaChodesh HaZeh lachem. It's a new month. It's a fresh start. It's a new beginning. You can redefine yourself and your life. Okay, so that was all Chodesh Lechem. We got up to last year, Pasuk Gimel. That's where we start from. Parakid Beis Pasuk Gimel. It's page 350 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Chapter 12, verse 3. Dabru el kol adas lachem ish avos se God is speaking to Moshe and Aaron and He says, you, in the plural, communicate to the entire assembly. Adas Yisrael. We have a lot of words we use to describe the Jewish people. Here we're using the term Adas. Speak to the collective assembly of the Jewish people and tell them that on the tenth day of this month they should take the Yichulam Ish. Everyone should take a lamb or a kid for their father's house. Se Labayis. First of all, why the plural? Daber, Dabru. You in plural. Whom is the Pasuk talking about? Who is the Pasuk talking about? Dabru, you in plural. Says Rashi and Pasuk Gimel. Does Aaron speak? Moshe is the spokesperson. Moshe is the Rabbeinu. We already saw that God instructs Moshe. He is the one who speaks. It's an amazing thing. Moshe and Aaron had such respect and such admiration for one another, neither wanted the spotlight. We live in a world where everyone wants to be you know, the, the featured speaker, the keynote speaker. They want the spotlight, they want the stage, they want the attention, they want the headline. Moshe and Aaron, right, there's a whole, where are you going to be on the debate stage, in the center, off the side, invited to the earlier debate, not in any debate. So Moshe and Aaron are offered the center space in the debate. They are the ones who are given the microphone. And they keep deferring to the other. You say, no, you say it, you say it, no, you say it. So even though Moshe was the one who was really instructed to speak, because of that humility, therefore it's Dabru. It's rather than an I, it's a we. I read an article recently that tracks in the history of presidents, um, how many times they say I versus we. In Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, part of why it was so effective, first of all, we think of the Gettysburg Address as this long dissertation. It's like the shortest speech ever given. 
So part of its effect in this, I am reminded by my congregants often, is the, is the length of it, that it was very short. But another thing is that Lincoln emphasized in that speech over and over again, not I and I and I, but we, we, we. When one uses a sense of humility, then they are much more likely to be heard. So here Moshe and Aaron are deferring to one another, says Rashi. So finally the apostle gives up and says, I give up. Dabru. Both of you. Fine. So they speak to them. El kol adas Yisrael emor besor lachodesh, says Rashi. Dabru ayom berosh chodesh yichu besor lachodesh. The instruction was given on rosh chodesh, and the instruction was to be applied was to be executed on the 10th day. Hazeh, of this month, says Rashi, Pesach Metrayim, Mechobasor, Velo Pesach Doros. Here we have a distinction. We have two terms. We use the same term Pesach to describe what happened in Egypt, and we use the same term to describe the way we commemorate what happened in Egypt. But they weren't exactly the same. One we call Pesach Lidoros, that is the Pesach, the holiday in perpetuity that commemorates. And then we have the Pesach, and we have the original Pesach, Pesach Mitzrayim. Pesach Mitzrayim was the way it unfolded. Pesach Lodoros is the way that we commemorate it. Obviously there are many similarities in the law, but there are also differences. And here Rashi points out the first difference. That when it came to Pesach Mitzrayim, the way they were instructed in Egypt proper, they were told they had to designate the animal on the 10th, and they had to wait with that designated animal to determine it was blemish-free, to preserve, to secure it being without blemish for four days until the 14th when it would be offered. Subsequently, all the Pesach afterwards, as a holiday, you didn't have to designate it on the 10th. You could designate it any day afterwards as long as it was ready, blemish-free, to be offered on the 14th. So that's what Rashi is saying. Pesach Mitzrayim Mechobasor. Velo Pesach Doros. The Pesach in Egypt, Dafka was on the 10th. What day of the week was the 10th that year? It was Shabbos. And that is the origin, in fact, of our expression, Shabbos Hagadol. It's called Shabbos Hagadol, the great Shabbos, because the 10th of Nisan in that original year was on Shabbos. That's when they showed this incredible courage, this amazing bravery, as we'll study about in a moment, to really defy their oppressors of all these years. And therefore it's called the Great Shabbos. Somehow Rabbi said I can give a really long drusha and it'll be called the Great Long Drusha Shabbos on that Shabbos. But that's the origin of Shabbos HaGadol. Selave Savo says Rashi, one was supposed to take an animal for their father's household, achas, for every family. It wasn't an instruction of per person, it was collectively, so they could gather as one and enjoy the animal together. The Ramban already now tells us, why? Ish se leves avos. Why are we taking a se, a lamb, a kid? Why specifically this animal? What's going on? you got a slave nation, God is bringing these ten plagues, He is suspending or He is interrupting the rules of nature. Perhaps the greatest revelation, a revelation which has been placed so much so that throughout time we are to remember back to it. Shabbos is Zecher Liyitzis Mitzrayim. It's Tefillin is Zecher Liyitzis Mitzrayim. Every day we're obligated to remember Liyitzis Mitzrayim. Why? Because God carried out these ten plagues so that just as He taught Paro, I am Hashem, have no doubt, look no further. 
so too for us when we have uncertainty, we are to tap into our collective memory of Yitzhiya Mitzrayim and to regain our sense of confidence. So God performs these incredible plagues. He's about to liberate this slave nation. What do you make him go through this exercise? Take an animal, tie it to your bed, watch it for four days, slaughter it, sprinkle its blood. What's this whole exercise about? Says the Rambam on Pasuk Gimel. Writes the Rambam, Ish Tama Mitzvah Zos. You know the reason for this mitzvah, says the Rambam? This animal is the astrological sign of the month of Nisan. So the astrological sign of this month is, or astronomical sign, is the tzle. So God says, you go take the animal that is the symbol of the constellational sign of the month and what should you go do with it? Shecht it. Go kill it and eat it. Why? Because what made this month auspicious, what made this month the month that you attained your freedom was not because of some horoscope you read at the back of a ladies magazine. was not because you know, uh, the Psychic Friends Network told you this was the month, go for it. This is when you can finally go free. What allowed you to break out of the chains of Mitzrayim was not some symbol of a horoscope. It was the Almighty. And how will you show that and prove that to the Mitzrayim and to the world? Because you're going to take that symbol, you're going to take that sign, and you're going to cut its neck. Sorry to be so graphic. And then you're going to roast it. And then you're going to enjoy a delicious barbecue of it. And not only was it the astrological or astronomical sign, but rather the Egyptians worshipped it. This animal was a deity for the Egyptians. Wow. 210 years you're oppressed and persecuted. All the while, while you are breaking your back to serve this master, you are watching out of the corner of your eye this master worship and bow down to that animal. And now God says, I'm going to free you. But before I free you, I need you to do a little something first. I need you to make your effort. Sure, God, what is it? Do I have to pack? I have to buy my ticket? I have to get my passport renewed? What, what do I have to do, God? I need you to do just a little thing for me. You know that deity, the God, that your oppressor has been worshipping all these years and crediting for the growth of their great empire and their riches and success? Sure, God. I'd like you to take it. I'd like you to kidnap it. It's like taking the mascot from the other team. I'd like you to kidnap the animal. Then I'd like you to display that you've kidnapped the animal because I'd like you to tie it to your bed for four days. And then I want you to kill the animal. And then I want, with everybody watching, your oppressor, your persecutor, your enemy, I want you to eat it in front of them. What an unbelievable ask. What an unbelievable moment of courage. And why is that? We have a tremendous precedent here. You know, I say this every year on Pesach. Why is it when Eliyahu Navi comes to our Seder? Last week we spoke about the fifth cup of the Hevesi that Rabbi Kasher said that we should drink. But, but we don't. It's still the coast of Eliyahu. So what do we do? We go open the door and we sing and we welcome and we say and so on. 
So um, I once heard asked, why, why do we have to get up and open the door? Elio Anavi can't come down the chimney? Elio Anavi can't walk through the walls or, or climb through the window? Somehow Elio Anavi has the ability to visit every Jewish home simultaneously. Elio Anavi is able to make it to every Jewish bris. But I have to open the door? So the answer is, because if I want the Geula, if I want redemption, if I want Elio Anavi, I can't sit back in my chair. I can't sit back in my recliner. I can't be lying down on the couch. If you want Geula, you have to get up and you have to do something. Right? Next week we're going to read the Jewish people are opposite the sea. The Egyptians are on their tail and they start davening to God. And God says, what are you, what are you doing? Now I would have thought God would say, wow. Ah, they've learned so quickly. Look at their amuna. Look at their faith. They've turned to me in daven. That's amazing. I'm so proud. Instead, God gives them a patch and he says, what are you doing? What are you davening for? Visau. Start walking. Because we have to do our part if we want God to meet it and bring us redemption. We have to show courage. We have to show resolve. We have to be brave. We have to be tenacious. We have to do our part. God wants us to be partners with Him in the redemptive process. I'm not going to get into it because this is a Pasha class, but certainly that's true in terms of the founding of the State of Israel and the continued preservation and the future success of the State of Israel. Is that the miraculous beginning, Aschata de Geula, which we've merited to live through, doesn't happen because we sit back with no Israeli army, that we sit back with no effort and think that it's going to happen on its own. God says, I want you to be my partner. I'll make a miracle of a six-day war. I need some people to be in the Air Force. I need some people to donate money to support those who are serving in the IDF. Because I can't make my miracle if I don't have a cleave, if I don't have a utensil, if I don't have a partner through which to have the miracle with. Viso. Say to Hillam, Davin, do mitzvahs, bake challah, do whatever you want to do for the safety and security of our brothers in the state of Israel. But make no mistake, with all the davening we do, viso. God says, I need partners. In the real world, I need partners. I need people in the army, in the air force, and in intelligence. I need partners. This is the story of our history. It's also the story, just for an aside also, of the bris milah. We know that a bris is a very big part of the carbon Pesach too. We'll see in a moment, they come out, you have to have a bris, you can't have the carbon Pesach. Without a bris, an oral can't participate in the carbon Pesach. And then Pesach in Yechesko, we say this at a, at a bris, there's a correlation that the merit of the bloods of the blood of the carbon Pesach and the blood of the bris milah. What does the carbon Pesach and the bris milah have to do with one another? What's the connection between the two? And the answer is, in both we are partners with the Almighty. God says, I'll create man, but I need you to be my partner in the finishing touch. I want you to be my partner when it comes to elevating man. The bris milah, the sign, the symbol of where the covenant, the circumcision happens, is a very peculiar place. Right? God couldn't have asked us to like, pierce our nose or our ear, get a tattoo, I love God, on my forehead. Of all places, that's where the bris milah, that's the place of the sign, the covenant, the symbol of my commitment to Him. And the answer is, yeah. In the place of the greatest Yetzirah, in the place that represents what has led so many great people astray and brought about their demise and their end, in that place which represents our greatest our greatest uh, distraction and temptation to say, in the place that leads me to be the biggest animal, God, I'm going to be godly. I'm going to be the most godlike. 
I'm going to follow the divine and have some self-control and some dignity and some self-respect and strive for purity and strive for holiness. Dafka in that place. But what Brismila and Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim have in common, the blood represented by both is the idea of I'm going to partner with you, God. I don't sit back and expect you to take care of everything, but rather, God wants a partner. And says the Ramban, that's the mitzvah here. God says to them, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to take you out. It's over. It's over. You've made it through the fiery furnace of Mitzrayim. It has turned you into, baked you into a people. We're ready to go to Harsina. I'm going to take you out. But I can't do it unless you partner with me. I need you to take a step. You've got to get up and open the door for Elio. You can't sit back comfortably in your couch and expect him to come through the chimney and announce the, and announce the geula. Says the Rambam. Look at the Yorachayim. The Yorachayim wonders. It's on Pasuk Gimel. It's the Dibar HaMascha. V'yichu lahem. Kasha. Lama Amar Vav. B'tchilas Inyan. The Yorachayim wonders. Why does it begin with the letter Vav? The verse says, Be'asor l'achodesh hazeh. On the tenth day. V'yichu. And take. Let me end. Yichu, take. What's the Vav doing here? What is the Vav doing here? Vulai, says the Yorachayim, Kiremez ladvar manayamaram bedivrei Moshe Yisrael. It's a beautiful suggestion of the Yorachayim. Maybe this is an allusion to something that Moshe is going to say to the Jewish people, excuse me, later in Pasach HaFalaf. Moshe u'kechu. He says, V'amur razal, Moshe yedecha me'avodah zara. Later in Pasach HaFalaf, Sorry. It says, right, right? This is God giving the instruction to Moshe. When Moshe is passing on the instruction, he adds, He says, What does that mean? How does the article translate it? Draw forth or buy for yourselves one of the flock. What is Mishchu? Mishchu could also mean. To, to rid yourself, to cleanse. So that's what the Archaim here says. <coughs> says the Archaim, the Chazal interpret Mishchu Ukechu. Kind of empty your hands, clean them, and then go take. What's Mishchu? Say Chazal. Mishchu Yedecha Zara. Drop the Avodah Zara. Drop the superstition. Drop the horoscope. Drop the idolatry. Drop the paganism. If you're going to embrace me and I'm going to embrace you, you have to abandon. You have to get rid of all that narishkeit. Get rid of all that nonsense. So here God didn't say that. God just says, What does Moshe say? Because Moshe must have received this in Nevuah. So that's what the Vav here is. The Vav here is that though God only gave the instruction, I want you to go take an animal, embrace me, offer me a sacrifice, worship me. But God is hinting to the fact that when Moshe relays the communication, he will say, before we can be instructed to embrace and worship God, First, we have to abandon and walk away from whatever else we're doing. Maybe if you didn't take on the 10th, you shouldn't offer. Whenever it is. And the Yorchaim goes on with this, with this idea. But I want to elaborate on this for a moment. The idea that the Mishchu Ukechu, and here the Vav, what the Yorchaim is suggesting is the Vav of the Yechu. 
that the Medrash Chazal say, Mishchu Yedecha Me'avodah Draw forth your hands away. Drop the Avodah You can't worship me if you're still hanging on to that. Right? What was I've quoted to you before that Rav Shechter loves to talk about. Mitzrayim was characterized by superstition, by paganism, by idolatry, by worshipping all kinds of other things. The whole idea of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim was we were taken out of that mindset. Drop the Narashkite. It's, it's Narashkite. The red bendel and the horoscope and the key. and the, It's Narashkite. It's Narashkite. Drop that Narashkite. Instead, God took you out to worship Him. Tomim tiyem Hashem See Hashem in your life. What happened to you was not the result of some string or the result of some superstition or the result of some evil eye. What's going on in your life is exclusively and solely the result of your relationship with the Almighty. Mishchu yidecha me'avodah So Shechter says, here we've come full circle and so many years later and we're going back to Mitzrayim. Not geographically. We've gone back to Mitzrayim in much of our, the superstition that has entered our people and our practices. It is exactly what God took us out from. And we're supposed to remember every day. We have exclusively a relationship with the Almighty. Not the Narishkite and the horoscopes and the superstition. So we have to get rid of it. So I want to share with you some insights from Rav Usher Weiss as a little preview, a foreshpice to his uh, visit to us. Shabbos, December 30th, did I mention? That Sunday night, December 31st. Sunday night, December 31st, the greatest reception. January. January, good. I want to make sure you were listening. You got it in your calendar. So he's, he's an outstanding... I want, you, I want you to understand for one moment why I'm so excited about his visit and why I personally am so excited. I've developed a relationship with him and, and proud that he's coming. Rav Asher Weiss is a Sanz Kleisenberger Chassid. He is a brilliant, brilliant Talmud Chacham. He finished reading the entire Encyclopedia Britannica before his Bar Mitzvah and remembers it all by heart. In addition, Lahavdil to knowing Torah, Kol Torah Kula. He's just a brilliant, brilliant person. But more than that, he is so pure that he just wants to learn and teach Torah to whoever will listen. So in a world, in a divisive world, particularly in Israel of extremes, where you're, you're highly critical and you're judged and you're taking your life into your hands, if you show an openness to worlds other than your own, Rav Asher Weiss gives a monthly shir at the Hezder Yeshiva in Steyrot. Rav Asher Weiss used to give in Gush Katif. Now he gives a monthly shir to a school that used to be there that's now um, not there actually where my nephew uh, attends. He, he's in a lot of different worlds. And he has no problem. Anyone who wants to learn Torah, he doesn't care about what kind of yarmulke is on their head. And that's what, that's what appeals, that's what to me makes me uh, such a great admirer of his. So he says the following in his Minchas Asher. He's, he's a prolific, prolific author. His tshuvas and his sfarim and his, are coming out like crazy. It's unbelievable. He says the following. We know that on the night of Badika's Chametz, we have the uh, custom of putting out ten pieces of Chametz. And uh, we call it Badika's Chametz. We're searching for Chametz. But of course it's a joke. By then, it's the end of a long process of cleaning. If by the night before Pesach, you're first starting to look around your house for chametz, you got some problems. And you probably need to check your, your DNA whether you're really Jewish or not. So the, the, the process has been going on for a long time. By Erev Pesach, by the night, by the night of B'dikas Chametz, your house is spotless and clean so much so that if your kid walks past the mailbox with a crumb, they're taking their life into their hands. So here we are searching for chametz. It's a total joke. So says Rav Asher Weiss, maybe we can explain it based on this statement of Chazal. That what we're looking for on the night of B'dikas Chametz, 
is not really the chametz. We put the chametz pieces out, maybe it's to avoid a bracha l'batala, maybe it's for other Kabbalistic reasons, but the real reason that we're putting it out is because what does chametz represent? Chametz leaven represents our ego. Chametz represents the Yetzirah. The Radvaz writes in his Chuvas, the Radvaz writes, I will answer what you have asked me. Why chametz on Pesach is more severe than any other forbidden thing in the Torah, to the point that we're obligated to search every hole and crevice and eradicate it. Not only is it forbidden to be eaten, but it cannot even be seen or found. Even the smallest amount is forbidden, unlike other forbidden things, which are kezayis. And it's not nullified at all, unlike other things which are nullified in Shishim and 60. We don't find such stringencies with any other prohibition in the Torah. So answers the Radvaz and his Shuvas, Chazal tells in the Medrash that Chametz and Pesach alludes to the Yitzhahara. The Yitzhahara, like yeast in the dough, which when not held in check, causes the dough to ferment, ferment and sour. Therefore, one is obligated to obliterate any trace of it, to remove it from oneself, and to search all the crevices of one's mind, for even the smallest amount of it is not nullified. So Chametz represents the Yitzhahara, the negative components or aspects of man. In fact, the Zohar juxtaposes, the Zohar shows that there are many similarities in the laws of Chametz and Avodah Zarah. The Torah says, Lo yira lecha soor, and it says, Elohei masecha lo saaseh lecha. You see the word lecha in both places. For this reason, we find many similarities in the laws of Chametz and Avodah Zarah. The obligation to burn them both, and the criteria for bittel for them both, which are the same, which we don't find anywhere else. Chametz and Avodah Zarah are likened in the way we approach them in Machshava and in Halacha. So therefore, says Rav Asher Weiss, prior to Bnei Yisrael taking the sheep for the Karm Pesach, they had to get rid of their internal chametz. They had to draw themselves away from the Avodah Zarah. That's the Vav of the Yechu. That's the Mishchu Yedecha Me'avodah Zarah. Get away from the Avodah Zarah. Purge from within you any foreign ideas or influences. Purify. Don't just kasha your pots. Kasha your heart. Kasha your brain. You've got to get rid of the Avodah Zarah before you can bring the Korban Pesach. So therefore, says Rav Weiss, that's the origin of Bedikas Chametz. You're right, you're not looking for the physical Chametz. By then your house is sparkling clean. By then your house is free of all Chametz. The idea is that Bedikas Chametz is paralleling exactly what they did it in Pesach Mitzrayim. Just like in Pesach Mitzrayim, before they could take the Seh, before they could offer the Karbon. First, Mishchu V'yichu. Mishchu, first you had to do a Bedikas Chametz in your heart. So we parallel that every year when we commemorate Pesach Mitzrayim through Pesach Ladoros by doing a Bedikas Chametz. And says Rav Chaim of Sanz, he quotes his teacher, Rav Naftali of Ravshitz, says the following, the Pasuk says, Ki yom kodesh zecher mitzrayim. Say, recite that Pasuk as part of Kiddush. Ki yom kodesh. That day is the prologue to the holy days. Zecher mitzrayim. kodesh. So said, said the uh, Rav Natali of Ravshitz, kodesh, mitzrayim. The prerequisite for Mikrei Kodesh, the prerequisite for holiness, is Zechali Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim, is remembering to get rid of the Avodah Zarah first. That's the image in mind. That's what one has to, that's what one has to do. And he elaborates further. Rav he has uh, some beautiful further parallels and ideas between the Chametz and the, uh, and the Pesach. But all that comes out of our Pasuk here. The Vav says the Orachayim of V'yichu. The Vav parallels later when Moshe will say, Mishchu Ukechu, that first you have to get rid of the Avodah Zarah, before you can embrace God. It's the Sur Meirah before the Asetov. You have to purge. If you have a non-kosher pot, 
You can cook all the kosher you want in, it's going to remain non-kosher. You've got to purge the non-kosher first before, before it can absorb the taste of, of kosher. Okay. Rabbi Soloveitchik, you didn't think I was going to get through the Pasha class without quoting Rabbi Soloveitchik. So Rabbi Soloveitchik says the following. On The idea that they had to designate a lamb for each parental home. Writes the Rav, interestingly, the symbol of redemption in the Torah is the Korban Pesach, the Paschal Offering, which is a very strange sacrifice. The concept of Chavura, of community, is completely non-existent in regard to other offerings. Shlamim, Chatas, Ola, Asham. Pesach has been linked by the Torah with Chavura to such an extent, extent that one sage is of the opinion that an individual cannot offer the Korban Pesach, only a group. Psachim Tzadi Aleph, Amar Aleph. One Tana there is of the opinion that you can't even be Yotzei. Let's say you have a huge appetite. You say, I'm going to bring my own small lamb and I'll, sheep, and I'll, uh, I'll eat the whole thing because you have to eat the whole carbon. One is of the opinion, you're not even Yotzei if you do it alone. This is a mitzvah. It's the only carbon of its kind that the way you're Yotzei is by being part of a community. You need a chabura. You need a chabura. The Pesach differs from all the sacrifices because it's a symbol of chayrus, of freedom. The Torah calls the Paschal lamb a lamb for each parental home, a lamb for each household because freedom expresses itself in the realm of bias, of community, of being together. Bias is a new category which was revealed to the Jews as they gained their freedom. The Rav doesn't say this, but I think what he means is the slave has the mentality of every man for himself. If you're a slave, all you care about is your survival, is living to the next day, is breaking through to the next moment. The slave, by definition for survival, is self-centered, self-preservation. What does freedom mean? Freedom means the capacity for community. Freedom means the ability to care about and connect with other people. So says the Rav, that exactly, simultaneous with their freedom, comes a commandment of community. The idea of a bias. You now not are living as individuals. You now have a home. You're now a people. You're now a nation. You're now a community. The only carbon that has a chabura, the only carbon that has a chabura. Okay, let's keep going because so far we haven't even matched last year. Two psukim. Pasuk Dalad. Vim yemata bias miyos miseh. If the household will be too small, then you take your neighbor who's near you and you take according to the number of people. Everyone according to what he eats shall be counted. In other words, you have to have, you have to uh, appoint, in order for the Korban Pesach, you have to be appointed to be part of the Chabura. Everyone has to be part of it and the animal has to be finished. So you need the right ratio of the size of the animal for the people that you for the people that you have. That's what the Rashi says. If you're too few to finish an animal, you can't put it away. You can't freeze it for leftovers. So what do you have to do? You have to invite your neighbor. So what does the carbon pesach by definition create? Community, neighbors. Remember when I started as a rabbi that uh, my introduction into the senior, being the, at least the full rabbi, was uh, a hurricane. Some of you may have been living then. I, f- I always forget, I mix up the names of the hurricanes. But it was the one that hit us on Hoshana Rabbah. 
So we had one that hit us in Yom Kippur when Hoshana Rabbah was Wilma. So Wilma came on Hoshana Rabbah. And we were without electricity for four days or five days. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just four or five days. It was Shmini Atzeres and Simchas Torah. We went through Yontif with no electricity. We went through the end of Cholamoid, Yontif and Motzei Yontif with no electricity. So, you know what happened? I would never welcome it or want it or ask for it ever again. But it was an incredible few days. And you know what made it an incredible few days? Nobody had technology. Nobody was disconnected from each other through technology. So the amount of interpersonal connection was unbelievable. I will never forget how magnificent the sky at night, the stars. Mm -hmm. There was no artificial light. So the sky was something which was incredible. But this was the best part. Everybody's freezer, unless you had generators, and nobody did then, only since everyone bought generators, thank God, have we not had another hurricane? So it's like, you know, going out with your raincoat or umbrellas when it doesn't rain. So, but nobody had generators. So everyone's freezers um, had no electricity, which meant all the frozen meat and everything that you uh, had was about to go bad. So Montoya Circle never smelled so good. Because what happened was, everyone went outside to barbecue what they had. Because it was about to go bad. And your best hope of keeping it extended was to barbecue it. So there were unbelievable block parties going on where neighbors were all combining and coming together and using their barbecues and, and barbecuing whatever was about to go bad or spoil from the fridge or freezer. Because when you have a refrigerator or a freezer full of meat and it's going to go bad and there's nothing you can do, you have to eat it, what do you do? You go knock on your neighbor's door and you say, would you like to come for a barbecue? And that was the carbon Pesach. God says you have to finish the cell of You have to eat every last bit of it. But we're only three, or we're only one, we're two, we're five, and it's a big animal. You knock on your neighbor's door and you combine in order to be able to finish it. I got crazy shilas that year. People wanted to know if they could, you know, bake cookies on the barbecue, if they made big challah, if they can they heat up macaroni and cheese, fleshiks, milchiks, kashering. Can you turn your barbecue off on Yantif to preserve the gas if it's the only way to heat it up later, even though normally you can't lower the flame? That was my. Uh, <laughs> being thrown into the fiery furnace of, uh, of the rabbinate was that, was that yantif. So, um, so that's exactly what's happening here with the Korban Pesach says Rashi as well. In Yemayit Abayis, and it almost by definition is Yemayit Abayis. Very few homes have enough people or appetites to be able to eat that, to be able to eat that much. And here, the Rabbi, the Rabbi Salavechik, the Rav continues. The Halacha coined the term Chabura with reference to the group gathering together for this ceremonial. A new fellowship was formed was formed around the Paschal Lamb. A new community sprang into existence. Being together, living with each other, sharing something many possess in common was made possible by the ceremony of the Korban Pesach. The slave suddenly realizes that the little he has saved up for himself, a single lamb, is too much for him. The slave spontaneously does something he would never have believed he was capable of doing. He knocks on the door of his neighbor, whom he had never noticed, inviting him to share the lamb with him and eat together. No wonder our Seder commences with the declaration, Halach Ma'anya, this is the bread of poverty. That just as they did in the original Pesach, knocking on the door of the neighbor and saying, No, anybody need? Come, let's share together. So too we commemorate that by beginning our Seder with Halach Ma'anya. The ceremony of the Pesach meal, centered around the carbon Pesach, aims at the emergence of the new Chesed community. For Chesed is the characteristic mark of the free man. The bondsman is not spiritually capable of joining the chesed community. He's too much concerned with himself, 
too insecure, too fearful regarding the morrow, too humiliated to think of someone else, too frightened and too meek. The birth of the Chesed community of a nation within which people unite, give things away, care for each other, share what they possess, is symbolized by the Korban Pesach. God did not need the Korban Pesach. He had no interest in the sacrifice. He simply wanted the people, slaves who had just come out of a house of bondage, to emerge from their isolation and insane self-centeredness into the Chesed community, where the little man that where the little that man has is too much for himself. Beautiful, absolutely incredible. So Korban Pesach is the exercise; it's the means through which we begin to sense that we have escaped our freedom. We've seen, by the way, two ingredients that differentiate a free person from a slave. One so far is the way you control time, and two is your capacity for chesed. Somebody who, who doesn't control their own time is enslaved by their schedule, is enslaved by their musty TV, enslaved by the... Let's see if you recognize this acronym. FOMO. Anyone know what FOMO is? Okay, if I were down the hall in the high school, everybody would raise their hand. What's FOMO? Come on, what's FOMO? Fear of missing out. There we go. Fear of missing out. It's a new acronym that young people like myself are using. Fear of FOMO. What's FOMO? Since technology has made alerted us to everything going on everywhere, it's also heightened our anxiety of FOMO. What's FOMO? Fear of missing out. I'm, miss- I'm over here and I'm enjoying myself, but what am I missing over there? And I might be enjoying myself more over there. And you live life now that we have access to knowing what's going on everywhere all the time. Now we have this heightened anxiety and stress of FOMO, of fear of missing out. When you don't control your own time and it's controlled by FOMO and it's controlled by everything else, you're not really a free person. And when you're incapable of chesed, when you're incapable of caring enough about someone else to make the sacrifice or compromise, to write the check, or to volunteer your time, or to break a sweat, or to share with someone else then you're not really free. You could have all of the riches in the world, but you're not a free person. That's why when I win the Powerball Wednesday, I've already pledged exactly where I'm going to be giving portions of my winnings. And don't worry, I'm going to continue to give the Parsha class. But then we'll be able to hire a valet who will park everyone's car so nobody will be able to be upset. That's my pledge to you. If I win the Powerball... I'll hire a team of valets so that nobody gets in fights with the parking. So if you're incapable of doing chesed, if you don't care enough about other people, you're not, really, you're not really a free person. You are enslaved to your property. You are enslaved to your possessions. We have to beat last year and do a third Pasuk. An unblemished lamb or kid, a male, within its first year, from the sheep or goats, you must, you must take it. And then you watch, you guard the animal for four days until the 14th. And then the Shechita of the Korban Pesach takes place on the 14th. And you take the blood of the sacrifice and you put it on the two doorposts and the lintel. On the homes that are going to be consuming, the homes that have showed the courage and the resolve to be able to take the deity of the Egyptians, the sign of the, astro- uh, of the astrology, and to be able to and to be able to slaughter it. I'll end with this kliyakar. We'll look at in pasuk zayim. Where the blood is placed on these two uh, on these two doorposts, says the kliyakar. 
says the Kliyakar. By the way, just notice the usage, the repetition. All throughout these parshios is that word, patim. Selabayis, al habatim. What did the Shifra and Pua, Yocheved and Miriam, were rewarded with? Batim. This emphasis on the bias, on the home. That's what this is all about. Freedom is synonymous with the home, with community. So says the Kliyakar here. Asnu Ashtem Azizos. Umashach pa hefach haseder v'amar v'higatam l'mashkof y'ashtem azizos. Moshe, I'm sorry, Moshe, Moshe, when he relays this, switches the order. Here, God says, put the blood where? On the two doorposts and on the lintel. And when Moshe communicates it, he says, so what's going on here? Why does Moshe reverse the order? Says the Kliyakar based on the Medrash. Remember I told you before, God says, I need partnership. Elio doesn't come down the chimney. You've got to get up and open the door. God says, I'll take you out of Egypt. I need you to show some courage. God says, I'll give you the capacity to transcend your urges. I need you to give a bris milah. Because Baruch wants partnership. The Rebbe Shalom wants our partnership. So the question is, who makes the first move in this partnership? Does God make the first move and we respond? Do we make the first move and He reciprocates? And that's what's going on here in this debate about should it first be on the mezuzah or first be on the mashkov. This is the Kleyakar's interpretation. So, Kashbarchu says, Shuvei laitchila, v'achakach ashuva aleichem, apasak imalachi. You turn to me, says God, turn to me, Shuvei lai. Make an effort. Make an effort. Take a step towards me and I'll come meet you. And Jewish people say, Ein bikoach lashuv tchila. Echab nishkin kayach. I'm exhausted. I'm so tired. I can't do it. You, God, you start. You show us an effort. Here you have two psukim. So one says, A little tug of war going on between God and the Jewish people. God says, You come to me and then I'll come to you. And we say, No. You come to us and we'll come to you. The mashkov, the lintel, represents Hashem. As it says, Hashkafa means an outlook. God views the world from an exalted or high place. So the mashkov, the lintel, is representative of God. God sits on top. God views the world. And the two doorposts, that hold up the lintel, they are the merit, symbolic of the merit of our patriarchs and matriarchs. Our matriarchs and patriarchs are the foundation, they are the pillars that support and promote and hold up the Almighty. So Baruch wants to show deference and respect and says first on the Avos and Imos. Lomar that we don't have the energy to begin. God, you start. You show us a sign. You're taking us out. And that will embolden us. That will strengthen us. Then we'll be able to continue from there. Or he says the Shtei Mezuzas are connected Moshe of Aaron, 
So maybe instead of reading it, reading it as there's a tug of war, but Hashem first shows, put it on the mezuzahs and the mashkov, showing honor to Moshe and Aaron before himself, whereas they show the honor to him, a mashkov, and then stay on mezuzahs and put themselves second. Those are the two interpretations of the Kli Yakar. As always, we had much, much more to say, but we will have to end here. A reminder, sign up for Age to Perfection, the dessert reception with Ravasha Weiss, Man Up is this Thursday night, 8 p.m. You can sign your place for all these things on the Shul website. Stay tuned for Rabbi Moskowitz's phenomenal class on Sefer Daniel.